Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. During the Esports 2019 annual meeting, a panel discussion debated the good and the bad about the Quality Adjusted Life Year, known as a Quali, from various perspectives. During this podcast, we sat down with Jennifer Bright, the Executive Director of the Innovation and Value Initiative, who moderated the discussion, and Dr. Lou Garrison, the Assistant Director of the Pharmaceutical Outcomes Research and Policy Program at the University of Washington, who participated in the discussion. During the podcast, the two will discuss the logistics of the measure, how it has helped fill a gap for payers with cost-effectiveness measures, what the measure fails to take into account, and why, despite these gaps, we should not ditch the measure entirely and instead should work to adjust the measure. Thank you so much for being here today to talk about this. Thanks, Jamie. It's nice to talk with you. So to start off, the quality measure does face some controversy, but starting with arguments in favor of the measure, how does it help payers and other stakeholders with coverage decisions? And how did this measure help fill a previous void in cost effectiveness for payers? I think Lou is going to be better at talking about the purpose of the quality and some of its history. But I think that one of the arguments that I hear most often in favor of the quality is its simplicity. It's it's an established method. It's uh, well established in the literature and cost effectiveness analysis. And it allows for some elegance to create a simple measure that's well understood. And obviously the thing we want to talk about today is a little bit of the controversy around it. But uh, I'll let Lou you know, add his thoughts before we talk about maybe some of the areas where it needs to be improved. Yeah, I know Jen is, uh, has a great point here. It is, uh, simplicity is key to this. And, and uh, the basic problem is when we think about value is we would like to usually measure value on what people are willing to pay for something, but we don't transact healthcare in markets where people are paying with their own money. So we can't use those prices to do it, to make those decisions. So the question is, what do we do? How do we figure out the value of something? And we want to figure out the, you know, the value to reward the innovator or the creator and sort of be, be sustainable. And so, you know, I like to emphasize that the quality is a useful product. And the quality, simply put, is just a measure, a simple measure, a pragmatic measure that combines length of life and quality of life. It says, it says the world is simple. Health, when it comes to medical interventions, there's something called health gain. What are the two key dimensions of health gain? Length of life and quality of life. But they're not the same. The question is, if you wanted to put together a simple metric, how would you do that? And so we essentially create an exchange rate between the two. And we think about a person could live an extra year, but what on a scale where zero is death and one is perfect health, what was that year like? And then you just give it a, a number, and then you can multiply it, and you create an index. So it's a relatively simple and understandable from that perspective, and that's one of the reasons people have found it usable, useful. But we, we can come to the limitations in a bit, but it, it, it's useful for that purpose. But I would say it's not useful for 100% of medical care. It's particularly useful for medicines, which we're launching and having to decide uh, how much of a reward or value payment we want to make. So that's a little background. But. Yeah, and I would say that one of the, and probably this leads into talking about the controversies, but one of the challenges is when we talk about quality of life, the definition of quality of life obviously differs from where you sit in the, in the discussion. And so when we begin to think about patients and we think about complexity of disease, the interpretation of what goes into measure of quality of life varies, varies by 
whether you have a chronic or comorbid disease, whether you have a rare disease, where you have, whether you have something that's treatable. And uh, so I think a lot of the, the controversy, especially coming from the patient community, is a concern that the metric, even though it is simple and elegant, isn't representative, right? And so how do you unpack that? How do you get to a, a place where you're talking about a conversation about value that's not just about the the price of things, but also about the quality of things. And, you know, the value from the perspective of the patient is primary in their mind. And, you know, I think they've hit on the fact that this metric, which is, like I said, well-established and widely used, doesn't feel representative to from their perspective. And so I think that's the crux of the so conversation. Represent, representative is a good word because... Uh, in a sense, I mean, we all we would start by saying as economists that we all have different preferences about these decisions. So there's no one value that is some uniform, you know, and so we're uniform number that everybody has. We all have different valuations. And in fact, when you're sitting with your clinician in that decision, that's what you would be would be part of the conversation. How do you feel about these different outcomes? And that would guide the, the guide the treatment decision. But you know, well, once we're in a pool together, we're in a society, and we're trying to decide. For example, we've set aside money for the Medicaid program. As a society, we transfer money over there to people who don't have the money. Then we have to decide what goes in their benefit package. And the question is, how do we decide that? And the quality idea is, well, we're trying to maximize their health gain. So let's try to measure different things and then put them in the package that maximizes the health gain for the typical representative Medicaid patient. Not for every Medicaid patient, not perfectly for everyone, but somehow at a, at a societal level, something we'd be comfortable with for a representative person. Right. And what I would say, you know, and part of my background professionally as having worked in the uh, patient advocacy community and the mental health community, uh, so I worked with a large population of patient community that is in the Medicaid population. And so one of the challenges there is that clinical research, which feeds directly into the health utilities and looking at the, at the formulation of, of all these value assessments uh, doesn't reflect Medicaid populations typically. An average patient represented in a clinical trial doesn't look like a Medicaid patient with a mental illness and possibly comorbid, you know, heart disease and obesity, for example. And so when I think about representativeness, that's one of the key weaknesses, I think, is that there's, a, there's an underlying um, flaw in not being able to represent disability and not being able to represent elderly and not being able to represent that patient population that doesn't look like the, the average. And I think that's a real challenge. Um, but does that mean we need to just get rid of the quality and try something else? I don't know that we're there yet. I, I think that what it forces us to talk about is how can we be more representative? How can we use methods and metrics. I mean, there's certainly a, a large uh, group of very smart people working in this space, and we have all kinds of data at our beck and call. We just have to leverage it better to, to ask better questions and to try to find answers that are more representative. So that's... You know. I mean, Jen makes a good point about in, uh, the, some of the limitations in dealing with the disabled population, which is everyone's been well aware of for a long time. And if you think about the metric I, I mentioned to you, uh, you know, again, I mentioned there are two dimensions, which is survival, life expectancy, and then adjustment for quality of life. 
they go together. Uh, people's, a lot of the objections are around that utility measure that I gave you. Everybody has different. But if I said to you, if my epidemiologist calculated survival using the methods, that's about as good as we can do. You know, I mean, they can adjust it for different characteristics. And so, you know, it's, a lot of it's around the utility level, okay? And um, the utility level, and the basic problem is if I said to you, if you could spend money to move someone who's at a point 0.2 to a point 0.3 versus a point who's at a point 0.7, which is much better, to a point 0.8, from the quality point of view, those are identical gains. Quality is a quality, it's a point 0.1. But if, um, you know, but most of us would say, no, no, I want to help the person who's at point two more than the person at point seven. So that, and so, in fact, the metric in theory, you know, discriminates against the disabled if you apply it literally. Now, I think that's kind of the theory of the calculation. But honestly, in decision making in America, we have not used the quality. Okay, for the most part, what happens? You know, and I sit on a formulary committee as a non-voting participant. Everybody gathers all the clinical data. They do network meta-analysis. They present the clinical data, and the formulary committee looks at the clinical data. And then you can say, well, someone did a cost-effectiveness analysis. But that's kind of mentioned as an aside. Clinical people are looking at clinical data and saying, is this, is this diabetes drug better than everything else in the class? Okay, then we should give it, we should give it a priority, try to get people on it. Uh, but you know what? It's going to might cost more. We better check with our contracting department and see how big that difference is and see if they can get it down. So there was no mention in the quality in that process. And all the, all the data was really the clinical data. And the clinical data drives the doctors. It drives those decisions for the most part. So the quality, you know, again, is primarily, I mean, ICER uses it. And ICER is basically talking about the reward system. So the thing is we all, there's a kind of an access, there's a trade-off between price and access. So in theory, with medicines are special, we have 30 a year, and we give people monopoly power. That's the reward for your innovation. Well, they're gonna behave like monopolists, which means they'll raise prices higher than we might like, so we need to subsidize the care. But we also know that the marginal cost of making the medicine's very low, so for anyone for, anyone for whom the benefit, the health benefit's greater than the social cost, we would like, we would like anyone for whom the health benefit's positive, for getting costs, we would like them to get it. Question is, how do we, promote that maximum, maximum access and also reward the innovator so that they'll produce more things. And so what we're doing in that quality is to sort of say your value is how much health gain you produce for people. We'll pay you in relation to that, and that will be the incentive for you to produce new things that produce health gains. Problem is, when it gets into the real world, we've got all the complexities of different populations. We've got lots of complexities. And in the end, now, the correlation in government programs that have perverse incentives the correlation between value, what we actually pay, and what people are what are being delivered in the real world, which is different than the trial, is often not that high. And so we have a problem. Now you've asked about the quality. So the quality helps. It lets you sort of measure the health gain, but it's not a perfect measure. I think the other part that mm -hmm. feeds into this controversy is use. We talked about this in the panel. And you're saying, well, it's not actually really used. But I think from where a patient community sits, uh, they use this particular discussion as a proxy for a, for an angst and a concern writ large about the conversation about value, one in which patient perspectives on disease and experience are not well factored into at the front end. So I, I go back to my experience 10, 15 years ago at the genesis of comparative effectiveness. And that, yeah. at that point, all we were talking about was comparing clinical effectiveness of medications. We weren't even talking about the price yet because nobody knew how to put their minds around that yet, outside of the economists' <laughs> hallways. Yeah, yeah, okay. but, but at that time, patients weren't represented in those discussions at all. 
and I, I'll just speak from my experience with mental illness, there were stu clinical studies being done in which the endpoints had nothing to do with what patients actually wanted in their treatment. And so all these clinical trials came out, and those clinical trials became the basis for determining which drug was more effective in that population for that disease state, all without any kind of factoring in of patient preference, patient endpoints, patient anything. Mm -hmm. And so when these pronouncements, and then the, those CER interpretations became the basis for determining coverage. And the patient community response writ large was adamant and very similar to what it is today in regards to the cost effectiveness, which is this doesn't reflect us. And so, and so what I would say the positive that came out of that was an important conversation that has to happen about defining better endpoints, about improving the quality of clinical evidence, and about incorporating mm -hmm. patients into the process of considering what is effect, what does effectiveness look like for that community. And I think we're at the same place with the quality. It's just kind of a proxy controversy for a much bigger question, which is how do we better understand uh, patient heterogeneity in in treatment of disease, and not just drugs, but across. But right now, we're just focused on the drugs. Um, and how do we better represent that at the front end? And how do we build systems that help guide us and guide our thinking about uh, using limited resources to provide mm -hmm. maximum value? And patients are not well represented at the front end of those conversations yet. And I think that's where we need to do some work. We need to do some work methodologically. We need to do some work socializing. We need to do some work educating patients about what the quality is and isn't. Um, we need to do. We need to have a wider discussion about value and what we're really aiming for. That, and I think once patients, communities feel that they are better re reflected in the science and evidence being used to make these decisions, perhaps we come to a middle ground better. Mm -hmm. That's my personal philosophy. So I'm not. Yeah. No. I mean, I make you make a lot of good points there. The, um, you know, again, I would I would just say that. I think there, there's other issues how to re reward innovation, and the quality can be very helpful in the carry of medicines. But once we're talking about how do we pay doctors, how do we pay hospitals, I'm not advocating the quality doesn't work very well. For that's 70% of spending. That's determined by history, how much have we invested in medical education, what hospitals did we build. So we're really looking, but the most creative and, in, and you know, an innovative area is these are these new medicines, and that we want to incentivize that because that's the marginal thing in the system that may be making a difference. You know, I want to go back. I mean, Eleanor raised the same point yesterday. I mean, when I worked in the pharmaceutical industry in the 90s, I always felt that, you know, the marketing people in the company, I mean, what's, the, what's their mantra? Know thy customer. <laughs> they, they, they interviewed patients. They tried to understand the disease. Maybe they didn't do a great job, but when we would get into new areas, they were out doing focus groups and trying to understand it. And the methodology and the quality is starts with that, and you go and you do a focus group, you understand what attributes matter, and you put those in the health state, in theory, okay? And then people, then we can ask the general population what they think about how bad that is. But we were certainly doing that. In the 90s, we were doing that. So it's not, and even before that, you know, at the Rand Health Insurance Experiment with John Ware and the SF36, that was the, right, that was the first time you heard people saying, you know, we're listening to the clinicians too much. We need to ask people what's happening to them. And this, so in the Rand Health Insurance Experiment, they developed an instrument to measure the impact on people. 
So it's not a new, it's been and around 40 years that we recognize that there's, we got a bias towards clinicians and we need to ask patients, but we've been trying to do it. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, so I'm here representing mm -hmm. the Innovation and Value Initiative. And one of the things we're trying to investigate is to lean into scientific inquiry about, are there other methods that we can put side by side? so that we have a more three-dimensional picture, if you will. And our, there are other methods out there, but it's about testing them and about putting them in context with uh, current value assessment models and trying to understand what do they show us that's different or what additive, if you will. And I think that's an important place to push because it just adds to our toolbox and it, it provides a platform to perhaps be inclusive and improve our ability to represent especially when we get into disability and comorbid disease, to better understand those factors and how to quantify them. That's the real trick. That's the million-dollar yeah, question, and, right? You know, I, I'm not so. I mean, I was the co-chair of our task force at ISPOR, and we, we're not, our position is not that different than Jen's, and actually we would applaud what uh, IVI is doing. Basically, what we, what we said was the quality is a good starting point for a lot of this discussion. It's got a lot of limitations like we've talked about. Uh, ignores a lot of factors related particularly to uncertainty that are important. Uh, and, we need to, and we need to improve the quality. And uh, we can do that with, there are, there's some more direct methods. There may be methods such as multi-criteria decision analysis, which is another way to put weights on other factors that matter. So certainly open to that. I mean, but, you know, but I've been, uh, to me, the quality from, as I told the story yesterday, was a very, always a very intuitive idea that if I had two people who live, both lived a year and one of them were in the hospital for a year and the other was out of the hospital for a year, a uh, biostatistician would say they each survived a year. I would say, well, those are not the same outcomes. You know, I want to, I've got to put a weight on them. And I'd be better off to just put some weights on them directly to think of when I'm trying to decide, well, would I rather pay for a heart transplant or for plastic surgery? What's the gain here? That's what that's the health plan's got to decide. What am I going to, where's the value here? What am I, what do I want to bring in the package? Who do I give access to? Now, we, all, we finally need to remember that you know we, we have we're, we spend more than any other country as a percent of GDP on healthcare. We're very friendly to technology on the whole. We're at eighteen percent of GDP. Other developed countries are at twelve percent of GDP. So we aren't making some of the hard choices that others are. We are relatively friendly, but we have tremendous some tre tremendous disparities in mental health areas that, that, and so on that Jen was talking about. Got to deal with those. Yeah, and I would say that all of this is. You know our investigation and our our um, our guiding north star, if you will, is to try to f can we find better methods to help us optimize treatment uh, for a very diverse population. And I know that's a complex proposition, and it's not one that's going to happen at the snap of a finger. But I think that that's what we're dedicated to is to keep pushing using methods and open source modeling to kind of be collaborative in our thinking and invite everybody into the tent to try to bring their best, the best and brightest strategy to improving methods so that we can say that we have a representative uh, view of value. And uh, we can also imbue some much needed trust in the mm -hmm. conversation about value, which I think is a real deficit right now and probably why we use the word controversy. Um, when, when in fact, when we have dialogues like this, we realize there's more middle ground than we realize. Yeah, and I think we, we did, that was our discussion yesterday. There is more middle ground, and uh, we, so we're, we're all looking to improve it and improve uh, yeah. so resource, how do we capitalize resource decision on it? making. Yeah. 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 Great, well, thank you both so much. Thanks. To learn more about the quality debate, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes.
You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or by following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. Finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.